0: a good little video so good to be with you everybody um, greetings from the mothership as um Philip likes to call it it's really good to be with you haven't been with you for ages and I um, always love paying, paying a little visit to Metro so we are doing this series mystic radical don't know what you think of it I'm just wondering actually whether you think you are a mystic or what on earth is a mystic anyway do you kind of relate to that term is it something that you you know you've ever even thought about you, you may not have done you know what the word radical means you know it means sort of doing something definite and it often it means to do stuff to do with social justice making a difference in the world making hard choices that actually um, really make a difference but what is this mystical side of things we're going to delve into that and i i just going to try and encourage you to to think deeply tonight so are you um are you somebody who thinks deeply do you think you are a deep person i'm just going to start with a little story so when i was around your age which is a little while ago obviously um i had just finished university and all the time that i was at university i was going out with somebody um, and we planned to get married at the end of university so we i was there for four years and it was all great and we planned a marriage and we we planned a wedding and um we we were getting nearer and nearer to this wedding and um my whole life had been sort of orientated around this relationship really the whole time i was away at university you know what it's like it can be like that they're very absorbing aren't they relationships and they change you don't they? You often morph a little bit into some kind of mirror of the person that you're with and, you know, if you're aware of yourself at all, you might be noticing things like that even in a relationship that you might be having right now. And anyway, so things went on and we were getting, we actually had a wedding date planned and it was all you know the things were in place and the invitations were printed and they were on the day really that the invitations were about to be sent out seven weeks before i a a few things had happened that had been kind of building to this moment but i realized that i couldn't marry this guy and um i i just couldn't go ahead with it And it was obviously a huge deal. I'm not that sort of person particularly. I'm not particularly on-off person. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was just, there were some things that I knew were really not right in the relationship. And I, I had to bring it to an end, seven weeks before the wedding, when all the plans had been made and everything. And it was just such a big deal. And honestly, overnight, when that decision was made, um, my, my kind of life was erased. Do you know what I'm talking about? All my plans, all the things that I had in place, what I was going to do after I got married, where I was going to live, all those, I was going to move to another city, another job, all those sorts of things erased. And suddenly I was in this situation where I was totally devastated and I had a total blank canvas life and it was incredibly hard. It was just you know incredibly, it was it was the single most hard thing that had ever happened to me in my life what do you do next you now i was a christian i was a follower of jesus Um, But, you know, as the relationship had gone on, and probably compromised quite a lot, and like I was saying, I'd slightly morphed myself into a kind of, you know, a different version of myself than I wanted to be, and then all of a sudden, here I am, and I have to start again. And I kind of tried to really reach out to God. I tried to say, where are you, God? (laughs) And I would sit on my bed, and I'd open my Bible, and I'd look at the pages, and they're just this white, black writing. Just, you know, tears streaming down my face, wet pages, all that sort of thing. You know the kind of thing. And, you know, it it was really hard. And. Um, A little tiny bit of me was able to see that God still existed (laughs) and I might have a future and I sensed that he was doing something but I didn't know what and it was really hard and so one thing I decided to do was um, I was at a bit of a loose end that summer I decided to go on a mission with an organization just go abroad somewhere where do I like Italy, lovely, let's go on a mission to Italy <laughs> because that's just a great place to go to Italy. And so we went and I went with this organization we we ended up in Tuscany, beautiful, in, um, on a mountain in Tuscany, <laughs> couldn't be better. Yeah, that's right, Matt. And um, so we stayed in this derelict villa at the top of a mountain in beautiful Tuscany. And every day, the group of us, there was about 30 of us, we were camping in this villa really it was totally empty no glass in the windows no furniture derelict and we just sort of set up camp in there and every day we'd go down to the villages and do little you know things in the village talk to people do funny little dramas I think they probably thought we were completely mad but you know there we were and anyway the day that I was going to would have been going to get married, approached. And I was out there in that time, August the 8th, 1987, quite a long time ago. And um, so that day came, the Saturday, August the 8th. And on that morning, I woke up with a start, I can remember it, at 6 AM. And I thought, this is my wedding day. (laughs) I'm supposed to be getting married. And here I am. Where am I in this derelict villa? And so I got up and I sort of grabbed my trusty Bible and I went outside and I went out into the garden of this villa and it was on this mountain like I said and I went up to the top of the garden which was really high up and at the top of the garden was a rock that you could climb up onto and sit and sort of get the perspective of the whole surrounding hills and valleys and I sat there with my Bible open and thought, now what God? where are you are you real do you exist what am i going to do i've got absolutely nothing left i don't even know who i am anymore i compromise myself i'm not quite sure i really think you're there i had been feeling that god was there but i didn't know what and anyway i opened my bible and it fell open and i just read the first thing that i that i had um opened up to it was 2 Corinthians chapter 1 it's one of the letters of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthian church and in it he just he says this it starts blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our suffering and I just paused to acknowledge that I had felt the presence of God and I began to feel this sense of comfort that God was real There's there's a reality beyond the things that I was experiencing. It's there. Comfort, yeah, I've got that. I've had it. Okay, God. Blessed be the God of all comfort. I see you. And then it goes on to say, who comforts us in our suffering so that, and I just read these next few words, so that we can comfort others with what we have received from God. And as that sentence sort of unfolded in my mind, I sensed God speaking to me, not in a kind of, you know, megaphone way, but a strong internal sense of, I'm here and I'm speaking to you. You are gonna come for others with what you are receiving. You're gonna hand on and I am crafting something in you that is for your future, for who you are becoming and what you're meant to be doing with your life. and um, so I just stopped and I kind of acknowledged it. I was shocked a bit because I felt like finally there was something solid happening. And I sort of went down the mountain and, you know, carried on the mission, went back to Bristol, start, restarted my, my blank life again. And um, I signed up to do a counselling course and I became a counsellor and then eventually I became a teacher and then a church pastor and all sorts of things. And that's really been my, my journey. But I would say that was a moment... I would say that was a mystical moment where there was something of the spiritual realm of the presence of God, of heaven and heaven's purposes for my life, met me in the physical realm on a rock in Italy on August the 8th. And it was a blending of something spiritual and something down on the ground and really when we're talking about the idea of being a mystical radical that's what we're talking about we're talking about the reality that you as a God follower as a Jesus follower maybe you as somebody who's spiritually searching maybe that is your reality at the moment you're wondering is there more then you that the truth is is that all human beings are called into this mystical place mystical engaging with the mysteries of God, but also it having a ripple out on earth around you, in your family, in your friendships, in your workplace. You are a mystic. If you are somebody who's spiritually searching or engaging and following God, then you're a mystic. Now, it's supposed to make a difference. Martin Luther King said this, every genuine expression of love grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. Do you hear what he's saying there? If you can express love, if you're really genuinely going to express love on the earth, now we know what he did. His love led to his death, his martyrdom actually, but he led this brave sacrificial life of love trying to draw um, racism out into the open and showing it up for what it was and calling it out because he was not just a mystical person loving God, he was a radical who actually acted acted out his mystical faith. And he he went on to say this, and I love this, because he talks about this idea of soul force. And he says, to our bitterest opponents, and we know who they are, they killed him eventually. But to our bitterest opponents, we say, we shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. One day, we shall win freedom. But not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience That we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory because martin luther king understood that being loved himself by god meant that he had to love his enemies and that that was a transformative power in the world and that is what you are called to do and whoever you are you know sometimes people think you know religion's a bit girly it's kind of but you know women like it better than men and you know men like the practical stuff than women like head in the clouds not true sorry if that's a stereotypical idea but in in the past it has sometimes fallen to you know within the Christian church a bit of division that the practical stuff and the the solely people are a bit separate but actually you whoever you are whoever you are Whatever your personality type is, you're called to be a mystic and a radical, somebody who combines the spiritual with the practical on the earth. And so we're, we're kind of pushing through Psalm 84, as, as you know. now, And we're just going to read it again, and I'm going to draw out three things that I think might help you to become a mystical, radical person. And they're not... Um, read your Bible more, by the way. Pray more, <laughs> don't do bad things. All of those things are important, but that's not actually it. There's a posture, an internal posture and position you've got to adopt if you really want to have a deep life. And just before we go on to say this, I've got to say actually that actually psychologists have recognised that you can, you can recognise the traits of shallow people and deep people. There are such things, people who are shallow, and the shallow traits, are people who don't really think deeply, who just are obsessed with the appearance of things, who often don't live authentic lives, because for whatever reason, it may be fear, it may be good reasons, reasons that have come from their past. But, oft- but there is a tendency in the human psyche to stay shallow and just avoid. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you don't want to face something and you just get on the computer and watch something just to escape. You know, that kind of lifestyle is easy to go for. But psychologists recognize that there are deep people in the world and deep people look for meaning. They look for depth. They want to understand. They stick at things and they live authentic lives. And, you know, if I was to ask you, do you want to be shallow or deep? I know you'd say it's got to be deep. So how can we do that? So Psalm 84 will give us a few little hints, so let's read it together. And I said in the other service that, you know, you've got to pay some respect to these Psalms. They may seem to you like some, you know, funny little poem from from the middle of the Bible, but this is a 3000 year old poem prayer that has stood the test of time. And it's been read in prisons and cells and, You know, it's been read all over the place. Martin Luther King actually made notes on this psalm when he was in jail. So let's listen to it and see if we can kind of get hold of some of this mystical prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, if you don't feel that, that's fine. But you've got to recognise it as a call to that reality that it's possible to feel that for you. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they're ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. And then the ending of the Psalm says this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. What is that prayer about and who was it? We don't even know who wrote it. But I'm just going to say there are three things in there that I just felt for you were, would help to sort of posture yourself in this idea of being a mystical person. And the first one is about the swallows and the sparrows. Why is he talking about those? What is the deal with them? Well, apparently... In the ancient world, where the temples were, they were often open to the air, parts of them, and birds would nest in the sort of perimeters of the temple courts. And they obviously found a bit of a safe haven. Lots of stuff happened in temples, sacrifice of animals, things like that. And, you know, maybe there was just food and there was shelter and warmth. And maybe this person who wrote this prayer, this mysterious person, looked at it one day and just found their attention drawn to the swallows and sparrows and found themselves thinking, wow, to live in the courts of God, yes, that resonates. Something deep in me says yes to that. I'd love to live in the courts of the temple. That must be amazing. Well, to be honest, it's really not. It's not a cute picture of birds nesting and it all looking sort of, you know, great and everything. The reality is, is that it says this, psalm says that these birds are nesting near the altars of God. And what are the altars? The altars in the, in the temple courts, there were two altars. And the first altar was in the outer court and everyone who came to the temple had to pass this altar. And it was the altar of sacrifice. It was a bloody place, because everyone who came there, past that altar, had to bring an animal to sacrifice. And that animal would die on the altar, probably with squealing, and it's probably quite unpleasant. And not something that we in this age particularly relate to, but it was normal life in those days. And one of the things that 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 sacrifice was about was recognizing, you know, the stuff in me that has brought death into me, that's got the flavor of death about it. I do stuff. I lie. I cheat. I reject people. I keep people on the outside. I don't do, I don't hold to my beliefs. I don't do the things that I said I would do. I'm weak. I'm shallow. And, you know, to be really honest, I do things that I would rather no one ever knew about. Every single one of you apparently has got at least five secrets you've never told anyone and you don't want anyone to know about. And that first altar, the blood sacrifice altar, is the altar where you come up against yourself and the reality, the darkness within. And you have to face it. You cannot go into the temple courts unless you go past the first altar and you make a sacrifice and you recognize I'm a sinner and I need to be cleansed Uh, and and if I don't then I'm carrying death around with me and the second altar is the altar of incense it's in the inner courts of the temple and on this altar are incense burners that are burning day and night forever they never go out And they're the symbol of the prayers, the communion, the mystical communion that human beings can have with God. A place of divine meeting, mysticism, mystery. But you can't get there unless you go past the altar of sacrifice. And then when you get there, it's a place of consecration. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of saying, "Uh, do you know what? This place is holy and you are God and I haven't got anything that you need, but I need you, and I want to commune with you. And you're here because you're somebody who wants to commune with God. You're seeking some, a spiritual reality. You're longing for connection, and that's where you have to go. So these swallows and sparrows, the thing about them then is that they'd settled in a place between these twin altars of sacrifice and consecration. And so the first sort of posture of being a mystic really is choosing your defaults. It's kind of like saying, where am I gonna settle? Where am I going to place myself in the world with all the things, all the opportunities, all the things I can feed on, things that I need for my provision? Where will I place myself? And these sparrows, these birds had placed themselves, not in a safe refuge, in a bit of a dangerous place, a place of constant disturbance. You know, there was peace there, but it was disturbing because the journey of somebody who wants to be mystical and to be engaging with those realities is you've got to be willing to be disturbed about your sinful nature, about the things that you do wrong. You've got to face them and you've got to move past them. You cannot stop there. And many of us in this culture, we've got a culture that is sick in two ways. One is that... You know, we ignore the stuff. We don't think and we do anything wrong. And then the other is we're obsessed with the things we do wrong. We're drawn into self-hatred and negativity. You cannot stay there. You have to go on to commune with God in the altar of sacrifice. You go past it to the altar of consecration. And we're very reactive people in this world, aren't we? You are. I know you are. Because I am. And I know that my faith, kind of like, you know, it's easy for it to go up and down reacting to something somebody said to me or some rejection I've had or some failure or some perceived sense that I'm not all that I should be or all my appearance is not right or whatever it is, I'm not a success in my job, whatever it is. And my faith can go up and down according to these trivial things. And yet a mystical person is somebody who's called into the depths Are you a deep person? Do you get it? There's provision for your sin and there's provision for you to commune with God. And do you know something? God has provided a way for you to get rid of your sin, but he hasn't got provision for people who want to stay shallow. There's nothing. There's nothing he can do other than call. If you don't want to engage, with the stuff and the, you know, the deep journey of spirituality. You don't have to. And God's not going to force you to. And often we think the hindrance is our wrongness, you know, stuff we've done wrong, and it, it's not. He's made provision for that. Those sacrifices were pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that would absolutely clean the slate and set us right with God. And so there's no problem for the things we do wrong, but there is a problem if we don't want to meet God and we don't want to know him. Second posture is we've really got to learn to see in the dark. You know, when I was a child, I did this junior school project once called... um, Uh, It just, the title was Carrots Make You See in the Dark. (laughs) And um, apparently they do. They help you, they help your vitamin A production. They help the way that your rods and cones in your eyes work so that actually it can enhance your night vision. Because it's possible for your eyes to get better at seeing in the dark. And something that, people who have faith who want to have deep faith you've got to learn how to see in the dark because darkness is all around and it's coming too it talks in this psalm about this valley of bacca philip talked about it last week and he was saying this place of weeping and you know whatever your experience of god so far at some point you are going to be in the valley of weeping you are because to be human is to suffer Some of you are suffering now, and it's really hard. You're already in the Valley of Weeping, you're very, very familiar with it. Others of you, it's great at the moment, but at some point suffering will come into your life. And who knows what that will be, who knows? But you've got to get ready beforehand and understand that in the Valley of Weeping, you've got to get your night vision on, You've got to learn how to see in the dark. You've got to draw into your reality stuff that you know is true, stuff that you can see with your spiritual eyes, because your eyesight will fail you. And, you know, on the hilltop that day in um, Italy, I saw something. I couldn't see anything in the physical that had changed, nothing had. But something in my spiritual sight had engaged and I saw a little pathway, a tiny little pathway forward for me. I had to choose. And in the valley of weeping, it is a valley of decision making. You have to make a decision in the darkness whether or not to trust God. And so seeing in the dark is often about trust and, you know, I meet up with people. I've met up with people now for 30 years to pray, counsel, those sorts of things, and hundreds of people in honest, honesty. And I feel like when I meet up with people, there's, there's, sometimes you, you come across someone who, who is just absolutely determined. For some reason, something has settled like steel into them to have it, to have the full deal of what God wants for them. And not everyone is like that. But some people are. And when I meet those people, I can feel it. A steel in their souls. (laughs) And I can feel that whatever happens to them, they're going to keep seeing God in the dark. They're going to believe and choose to believe that God is good. Now, in the darkness, you know what it's like if you're afraid in the dark. If you have anyone have night fears or had a nightmare or woken up in the dark, and everything is huge and weird and distorted. And you can, you know, in the morning you can wake up and think, oh, what on earth was I so worked up about? But in the darkness. Things get distorted, and and the reality is, in a dark place in the Valley of Weeping, we can find ourselves believing lies about ourselves, believing lies about God, believing lies about what God wants to do. And there has to be, if you're going to be somebody of deep faith, you have to plot your way through the lies, because they'll come at you thick and fast. Can you believe that God is good? All the time and he is always doing something in your life he's always speaking to you do you hear that he is speaking to you every day he is a communicating God and some of you think I'm a bit rubbish at hearing from God doesn't matter he's speaking to you and you can learn and you can choose to press on and to find him there's a guy 500 years ago called John of the Cross who was a monk, and he lived in a monastery. And he, um, he began to realize that this monastery had become a bit dissolute, and the monks were not very monkish. They were kind of misbehaving and doing all sorts of things. And he started to call them back to more monkish behavior. I don't know how you say it, monkly. Um, he tried to call them back to purity. And they were so cross with him that they locked him up in a little room with no windows. And it had a window in the roof. And it was sort of below ground. And he, they left in, him in there for months. And they just put his food in there and he just had to sit in the darkness. And he would watch the sky change from day to night, day to night, day to night, week in, week out, month in, month out. And in that time, John of the Cross began to lose his faith he lost sight of God his even his desire for God waned and he just felt like this empty person and he 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 just lost it and he came to this place where he just said God I got absolutely nothing left I don't even want you anymore but I kind of want to want you and if you're there are you there I'm calling out to you and it was like a moment of utter surrender It wasn't like this Holy Spirit, Lord, I surrender to you, aren't I great? It was kind of like, I ain't got nothing left. That's it. And sometimes, you know, suffering is the only thing that will bring us to that place. I'm not glorifying suffering. I'm just saying that sometimes it's only in that time of the valley of weeping where we start to realise how trivial some of the things are that we pursue in life. And so John of the Cross came to that place and then in that place he says that he he writes about Jesus' presence suddenly filling this cell and he met Jesus in the utter darkness in that place of surrender and he fell in love with Jesus again and he wrote this line um, in the dark night of the soul, bright flows the river of God. And that's the promise if you learn to see in the dark is that if you can engage with God in the darkness, not just in the good times, but in the darkness, then you will see the bright flow of the river of God and it will come out of you into the world. That's how it works, in you and then out of you. And that's what it is to be a mystical, radical person. And there's something about the nature of the pursuit that kind of gets you ready to steward whatever God wants to do with you in your life. And I know that for me, with that thing on the mountain, I kind of, what had gone before, it prepared me to steward the destiny that God actually had for me. It prepared me in a way that nothing else would have done. And then finally, just to say that we've got to learn a way of looking, not just in the darkness, but we've also got to learn to look through things, not at them. You know how we're just really wired to look at things and then react and be affected by them? Even just appearances. You know, we make judgments on people so easily, don't we? And we look at them and we, we sort of make a judgment. But actually, the a, a deep somebody with a deep faith has got to look through the external things to what is true and real. And I I just want to challenge you to be truth seekers in the truest sense of the word, because you are going out into the world all the time. You're talking to people, you're working, you're studying, and you're being presented with a version of reality. And some of you are being taken in by it and you think that is it and that that is the reality, how people are reacting to you, what you think of yourself or those sorts of things. And yet a mystical person learns to look through those superficial things to the truth and find it. So the apostle Paul said this, he said, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Why? Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And in a shallow culture, We're called to be people who can see beyond the surface to eternal realities and I I pray that for you. I hope that you are somebody who's got a bit of hunger for that because out of that hunger comes prophecy. You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in you that allows you to access heaven's truths for somebody else and change the course of their life. And some of you have received prophecy and you've been encouraged by it and you've sensed Oh, a meeting place between me and God because of that word. That's how it happens. It's prepared within you, in your walk with God. And you can't just get, you know, God doesn't go around just plumping gifts on people without preparing them. But some of you, you're in the dark night of the soul. And I'm saying to you, God's preparing your soul to be fertile ground so that you can prophesy Light into other people's lives as you engage with the light yourself. The mystics have always talked about this idea of being a thin place, there being thin places. Have you heard that expression, the thin places? It's, you know, it's an interesting idea that. A- The idea of a thin place is a place that has worn thin the gap between heaven and earth so that you can kind of access something spiritual there. Maybe it's a place that's been prayed in for thousands of years. Or for some people, my sister is a painter and she paints the sea. She says standing on the shore looking at the sea is a thin place. She senses eternity pressing in near her when she's by the seaside. And maybe. For you, you've got a thin place, you, you know what I'm talking about, but actually you know the thinnest place of all in the whole of the universe is the human soul. When God the Holy Spirit fills your life and transforms you, and you and he are fused together for life forever, that's a thin place. And you're meant to be a thin place for other people to come into so that when they look at you and they talk to you and they sense the atmosphere around you, they sense oh, this is meeting place of time and eternity and God and spiritual things. What is it about this person? And that's the question that has got to be raised when people are around you. So I'm just gonna end with that as a challenge really. I've just been outside in the gap between the services. Looking at that human tide out there, so many people. The challenge is for you, when you go out into a crowd, for when you go out and do whatever it is you do, that you're a thin place where people can sense the presence of God. And it's only going to come if you choose to go deep. And so there's that call for you to go deep with your life. So your big idea is that you too, you too, not just the experts or one or two deep ones, but you too can have a deep, joyful, resilient faith that brings hope to the world around you. And difficulties, failure, and setbacks don't have to stop you from having it. In fact, they're the very place where it's established. So That's my challenge to you. I'm gonna pray for you that you go on a journey with this stuff. Read up on it. You know, what is it about the mystics? They wrote some amazing things. So I just pray, Father God, for this community. I pray that it would be a place, a thin place in the world, that you would come in your power, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd come and fall on them, God, repeatedly. Would you fill them to the depths of their souls, for those who are struggling today with hearing, with believing lies about their identity and their ability to be free. I just sense there are some people who have tried to be free of certain things and it feels like you're just banging your head against a brick wall and God wants to say to you that you can break through that wall. You can break through that wall and he is with you and for you and there is a way forward. And I pray God that for healing, for where we have been battered into submission, by things that are hard and dark, and they've left a dark stain in our psyche. I pray God that in that dark night of the soul, that bright would flow the river of God. Come healing power of God into this community. Come prophecy. Come bring these people to a place of being mystical, radical people. Let the mystics arise. And go out into the world and bring the flavor of heaven. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.